0: Hello, this is co-host Jack roster Mundley. Really quick before we get into today's show, I just wanted to note that actually after we discuss the poem and before we do our usual recommendations, we answer a listener question in this episode. And if you have questions about any of the poems that we've covered or anything else relating to poetry and literature, we love to get questions from listeners. You can email us at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash closetalking, or on Twitter at Close Talking. I'm at Jack Rossiter Munn and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. Any of those avenues are good ways to reach us. Uh, the question that we're answering today has to do with submitting your own poetry. So here's the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a
1: poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us. If you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple podcasts, those ratings and
0: reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you could send us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. And Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, CloseTalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, unboxed. And if you go to Cardboard Box Productions you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Jack Rossiter-Munley.
1: And I am your other co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton.
0: And we are coming to you, as we always do, from geographically disparate zones. I'm over here in Bennington, Vermont. Connor is out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But we have convened yet again to read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again.
1: Reducing carbon emissions in a minuscule and trivial way
0: yeah not see (laughs) we had to stop doing the chartered flights every week
1: (laughs) that's i just said i said jack yeah i just i can't i can't justify it anymore yeah it's
0: not the financial realities of poetry podcasting it's the environmental impact (laughs) that really sealed it for us um but we are here today to talk about as always a wonderful poem uh i r l by Chris teese
1: I am very excited to talk about this poem.
0: I am too, because you know what? Right now, pandemic times, it's just fucking gritty all the time, mate.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> spoiler. So,
0: spoiler. Oh, I'm just no I'm just saying it's it's just fucking gritty all the time, mate. I can't <laughs> wait to get into a poem with my mate. Okay, so Chris Teese is from New Zealand, and that's a line from the poem. You'll <laughs> we'll get there in a bit. Um, but yeah, Christie's is an incredible poet. A couple of collections, full length collections that have come out from Auckland University Press How to Be Dead in a Year of Snakes from 2014, and He's So Mask from 2018, and also was the co editor of a recent anthology, Out Here, an anthology of Takatupui and LGBTQIA writers from Aotearoa. And Aotearoa is the Maori name for the Northern Island of New Zealand. So a bunch of very cool collections and anthologies. And that is just a small part of Christie's poetic output because he's also a very prolific presenter of poetry, I guess I would say does a lot of different readings and panel appearances and records poetry for radio and the internet and television. So just like a lot of poetry off the page work which is very very cool um and a lot of like work to expand the reach of poetry including one of my favorite discoveries of uh research for this episode which i mentioned (laughs) to connor very briefly before we were on air together which is there are tracks on soundcloud of christie's reading metallica as a spoken word performance
1: and it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) that's too good yeah, I have nothing to add, but I am excited to delve into this poem. I am very excited.
0: I am too, and I think the only thing to mention before going into the poem is, in case anyone listening isn't aware, IRL stands for in real life, an online term.
1: As the New York Times crossword would say, in real life, comma in modern lingo Mm. or perhaps in modern parlance or perhaps informally
0: or cyber parlance
1: cyber parlance yes techno
0: talk um they don't say things like that in the crossword or they'll be like a poet's evening and it's eve or a poet's over and it's or
1: seriously jack isn't it so annoying <laughs> is very i it's the feel worst. uh personally, personally attacked. attacked yes every time i have to type in air e-r-e as in before or like uh long ago according to poets oh yeah your okay sure yeah i'm always writing in my poems yeah in days of yore no come on new york times creators the last poem. Read a wasn't, poem. Wasn't written in fucking Shakespeare's time. <laughs> Jesus Christ!
0: Poetry was born and died with the Iliad, Connor. Didn't you know?
1: You know, it's funny because I have so <laughs> many beefs with the Times that are uh, more <laughs> substantial. Uh, hey,
0: your coverage of the police is sometimes, maybe <laughs> always, pretty questionable. Also, your fucking crosswords, man. What are you doing?
1: Yep. It's really not okay. And also, I also have more substantial beefs with some of their crossword clues because sometimes, well, recently they they did a real banger, which was um, environmentally, more environmentally uh, source of energy. And the answer was clean coal. What the fuck? And so anyway, those are more substantial critiques. But the real one is... Poetry shit. I mean it's it's yeah. like I know you gotta get your letter E's in there because it's common, but like please, please stop.
0: Connor, Jack. What do you call a poetic thoroughfare in your garden?
1: Oh god. Oh, I don't know what
0: a Sylvia path.
1: Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we, we're losing listeners by the second right now. We got we to gotta get going with this poem.
0: Yeah, we do. Um, but, the, <laughs> but the phone is ringing off the hook with compliments on, the, on these amazing jokes. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, all right, so this is the poem IRL, which stands for In Real Life, by Chris Teese. In real life, you are aging at the rate of a short-lived sitcom. And the only kind of loneliness worth laughing about is throwing out half a frozen meal for two because leftovers are never funnier the next day. In real life, there's no such thing as a gritty reboot. It's just fucking gritty all the time, mate, because your best laid plans are always someone else's chance to crash a car into the crowd at a men's rights charity concert. In real life, the nice guys pull out of the race when their tires are slashed, where they turn back because they think they left the iron on And no one adheres to sports film cliches anyway. We're all selfish, and we want that trophy. In real life, you'll never make it out of your homophobic small town. Alive. So your left hand begs for water, while your right hand swings an axe. Your left foot drags a church bell, while your right foot taps. S.O.S. S.O.S. SOS. Dang. Amazing. This poem is so good. It's one of those ones where as soon as I read it, I thought this one's for close talking (laughs) like right away. (laughs) Um, And I don't know exactly what it is about different poems that that speak to me in that way, because, you know, we, we mix it up a fair amount, both of us in our selections. Um, But every now and then I feel like I come across somewhere. I'm just like, yep, this one. Uh, (laughs) And that was definitely the case with this. I don't know how much of a narrative through line there is to discuss with this one. I don't know if even progression is like the right term or the right way to start our conversation. Cause I don't know if that's really what's going on here. Yeah. It feels like more of a general reckoning with I don't know. Existence? Life? (laughs) We'll get into it. The first thing that kind of stuck out to me and that threads through certainly like the first half of this poem is this um, short-lived sitcom and gritty reboot as like glancing pop culture references. The poem is like maybe broken up into four pieces, each one beginning in real life. And the first three all have this kind of reference out to sports movies or gritty reboots or sitcoms and i'm i'm wondering what your thoughts are about that as another thing that threads through along with the repeated in real life
1: Mm. yeah that is a great place to start um yeah i mean and i think i think like a reckoning is a really good way of thinking about it um as kind of like, because it, it's sort of the way I, I read it a little bit, you know, there's there's the kind of, um, you know, the only kind of loneliness worth laughing about is throwing out half a frozen meal for two. So there's this loneliness and then there's, you know, by the men's rights charity concert, um, you know, we get this source of some of the loneliness you know, it's, it's kind of like both the, you know, the alienation, uh, and isolation that the speaker has like growing up in a, in a homophobic small town as a, as a queer person. Um, and that sense of like looking maybe
0: for media that is not of that place in some way. I mean, there's like the, the clear, power like the pull towards media happens uh and it does feel a bit like a pull because it kind of interjects occasionally uh kind of in, in the middle of when the poem is doing other things it supports what's going on it doesn't like distract or or counter or like contradict what's going on but it does feel like it's almost uh maybe intrusive is too strong a word but it's like omnipresent, I guess might be the best way to say it. Like you can't escape the fact that this is also part of what's going on, even though it's a part that's maybe not directly in the thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, no, it's such a good point because I think in, in what you were saying about the short-lived sitcom, like in another poem, like the uh, poem we talked about last episode, Hear the Dogs Crying by Christy Passion, um, you know, the the sort of the raw materials of the poem are partly the like sound on the radio, but then also the kind of real, you know, the the IRL <laughs> memories uh that passion has and kind of and and then the the kind of the actual geography and like the towns and the the places in Hawaii that um You know she's in and her family's from and things like that um whereas in this poem the the kind of the the raw material is the kind of media landscape of like tv and movies and stuff i mean i you know like this is like not a profound thing but it's just like it makes sense in a lot of ways it's just like i don't want to do a whole thing of like oh we're like so hyper connected and always on our screens and stuff but at the same <laughs> time we are on our screens a lot and i'm yeah it's on. it's
0: everywhere i mean you go and, to a, a restaurant and they've got you know or a bar and there's a tv with sports or something playing exactly Usually, you know you even if it's not the cell phone in your pocket it's like it's around it's ubiquitous it, it's the main cultural medium that's like Places. Right, right, um, and it,
1: it's to the it's to the extent that you know shows and movies and and media they're not merely you know discrete pieces of representation. Their ubiquity and their their everywhereness has kind of made them part of the the actual world and the kind of landscape of life. Um, obviously, even more so in in pandemic times, but like even i mean think about how many people have like dunder mifflin t-shirts
0: and coffee mugs
1: oh yeah yeah you totally. know
0: like like you there are a lot of different ways to mark that kind of permeability but you know whatever like tchotchke on your desk that's part of a tv show and that's not even beginning to touch like the vast fandoms that exist for <laughs> yeah, films, films yeah. and, and especially in like the comic book movie star wars fandom world like The number of different things that you can have that are physical things, even one step more removed, which is like, you know, the only kind of loneliness worth laughing about is throwing out half a frozen meal for two. Well, that's a TV dinner. Yeah. Like even on that level, that's another thing that is in at least in its marketing was tied into the idea that folks could quickly heat this up in their homes of the future and sit down and enjoy, enjoy it with TV as like a another partner (laughs) if you're on your own and you're throwing out the other half like the tv didn't eat that other half you know it's just
1: funny in a very sad way i guess (laughs) but like a short-lived sitcom yeah that's just a like that's a very uh brutal pace to be aging (laughs) yeah because uh yeah i mean obviously in the simile it's like it's aging fast you know what i mean it's like it didn't last long it's a sitcom sitcoms are i don't know i feel like they're notoriously um aging out uh it's oh my
0: god i mean even the classic ones like think about arrested development the first three seasons of arrested development even if we pretend the other ones didn't happen
1: right (laughs) like
0: those first three seasons are about like the iraq war and they constantly reference the patriot act and yeah sure there's elements of them that hold up better than like a completely one season done nothing weird sitcom with a bunch of like racist sexist homophobic <laughs> yeah. nonsense in it even a show that is noted for its art for its artistry and has like endured in the genre as being like wow we still want to do stuff like this for x y and z reasons like there's a bunch of stuff about it that deeply ties it to the time that it was made that just doesn't connect in the same way now yeah you know like there's a bunch of saddam hussein body doubles in a house like that he died 15 years ago like
1: yeah that's
0: the cultural reference isn't lost yet but it
1: it's aged a lot Uh, yeah
0: you know all sitcoms
1: age quick yes no that is great and i think that there's uh struggling with how to articulate why i like it so much okay so then the next one that I that <laughs> we that you spoiled um, it's just yeah. fucking gritty all the time mate no 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 it's it was, it's it's worth saying a lot but in real life there is no such thing as a gritty reboot it's just fucking gritty all the time mate um so what I love about that as an aside my main love of this is like it's so uh casual um it actually reminds me of chen chen's work a lot in some ways
0: yes didn't even think of that but you're so right it's like the we talked about poplar street the opening of that is such spot on just like a couple people bumping into each other dialogue you're right yes good call
1: yeah and like the language um (laughs) well and like the the like it's just fucking gritty all the time, mate. I mean, that's very like, it's not. <laughs> it's it's um fresh language to us us Yanks over here. Um, but you know, it's like you know, sometimes we talk about like, well, um, actually, we just talked about uh Nikki Giovanni's dreams, and we were kind of talking about there how you know the language, um. Well, in that poem, it kind of, it goes sort of beyond the vernacular for a little bit where it's kind of like imitating the actual way that the singers are singing the lyrics. But this, and this is kind of like, you know, each, each phrase by itself is not like, um, you know, that's something one could say to one's friend. And it's not like, but soft in days of yore, when air through
0: yonder window break.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 air was uh,
0: ever thus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look Listen,
0: upon my works, ye mighty, and they none, are fucking gritty, mate, <laughs> all the time.
1: None of the language in this poem <laughs> will ever be an answer to a poetry-themed clue in the New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, no. and you know uh it's something oh it's
0: description of reality (laughs) well it's really long i think it's fucking gritty all the time
1: (laughs) (laughs) anyway so like it has (laughs) it has that you know element throughout you know um and that's obviously set up very clearly by the fact that the title of the poem it's not even in real life it's like irl um it's like it's it's going beyond the vernacular to the the text, the texting vernacular and all that stuff. Um, But I think beyond like with, which is something that Chen Chen does also, but I think doing that, it's like, it's still, um, one thing I love so much about the in real life, there's no such thing as a gritty reboot. It's just fucking gritty all the time, mate, is that there's still so much like kind of depth to it in this way. That's like, like, so like, what is, what is he saying there? You know, it's like, you know, you think of the gritty reboot, it's, that is like clear to see. It's like, it's a new show, but they're going to do it like hardcore and it's going to be, and then, but what the thing that I love about it that I think is kind of elevating is like the grittiness in the show is like that texture that you watch it when you're like oh this show's fucking gritty it's like it's just like real life man like it's so fucking gritty um it's like so we just fucking
0: grim and true
1: we just like and
0: sad and angry and i love it so much because that's what serious stuff is all
1: about man we just like we watched, There was just a shot of like he was just like washing the blood off his hands for like two minutes and it was fucking boring, but it's like, when you get blood on your hands, you got to fucking wash. That's how connect. long it
0: takes in real life to wash blood <laughs> off of your hands. And I know, cause that's what they said in the director's commentary. <laughs> My life is real and that show is real. <laughs> and then he hit that guy's head into a car door a hundred times. <laughs> he was so mad and real and stuff. I love it when it's angry and real. Meanwhile, the Babysitter's (laughs) Club on Netflix is the best show of the last two years. And if anything, it's a bunch of people being basically nice and decent to each other, which in my experience is a lot closer to real life when you have real (laughs) world friends and they're not coming up to your house being like, hey, it's me, your new alcoholic partner, and we're detectives and there's a serial killer on the loose and this is so gritty and real. And let's talk about existentialism. It's like, no, actually maybe a bunch of young people figuring out how to be nice to each other and deal with like loss and grief and diabetes or whatever is like, maybe that's what life is about. Actually. No,
1: No, Jack, you're wrong. I mean, nothing, nothing was more relatable than the criminal minds episode where the serial killer is painting (laughs) portraits of the victim with the victim's own blood.
0: Of course, yeah. Well, I would challenge the realness of that and raise you the realness of a uh, mm. mild-mannered chemistry teacher turning into a drug kingpin. So, <laughs> cuz that's that's gritty and real and like really dead gets at some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just it's just gritty all the time cuz you know what? Here's the real thing. Here's the here's the oh. in the immortal words of 21-time Grand Slam winning champion Rafael Nadal. Here's the true
1: wow Uh, does he say
0: here's the true in yeah he'll say yeah this is this is the true that's sweet the actual like (laughs) grittiness in life is these like you know 13 year old girls figuring out how to be nice to each other or how to stand up for themselves and others and like that is gritty real life stuff it's presented in a less like self-serious way but one of the many reasons that I legitimately think that that is one of the best television shows I've ever seen in my entire life and by far the best show to come out in the last two years is because it is actually grappling with like real life stuff and it is doing it in a way that is honest to where the conversations around those things are now and looking forward because there is a moment and I talked about this back when I recommended the, the first season I'm pretty sure where Marianne who has been having a very difficult time, like standing up for herself calmly and assuredly advocates for the proper use of pronouns for the kid who she's in charge of when they go to a hospital because of a medical issue. And like that moment is gritty and real. And like, that is her character's struggle. And that is a social struggle that is going on right now. And it's about creating a world that can hold both of them as a young woman and as a person who is thinking about their gender identity, like that's a lot and her dad overhears and it's a beautiful sweet moment but like the grittiness of that is just completely washed away because there's no serial killers and nobody's drinking and doing drugs and trying to like i don't know crack a code or make a great (laughs) ad in the 1960s or whatever (laughs) or like do sexual harassment it's like actual gritty stuff that doesn't have to look like what we always think gritty stuff looks like. And I, I think there's an element of that in this poem, which is like, it's just gritty all the time. What are you talking about? Everything's like gritty and real and exists together. Um, And that is kind of where I think it ends up, which is part of what I, I love. I mean, you were talking about sort of identifying where your particular connection and enjoyment of the poem was coming from. And I know for sure where it's coming from for me. And it's the same thing that is why uh, like I, Flannery O'Connor is one of my favorite writers. Um, And it is because no matter what she's writing about, the stakes are always like salvation and damnation, life and death. Like no matter what's going on, she is obsessed um, and is a good example of like quintessentially gritty Southern Gothic. Everybody's dying and whatever. It becomes clear that those are the stakes of this poem by the time you get to the end of it. And all of this stuff is also coexisting in a different kind of way where you have your left hand begs for water while your right hand swings an axe, like these huge juxtapositions that hold the badly aging sitcom and the gritty reboot that was never to be because it's always gritty because it is always gritty (laughs) um that's that's kind of where i land with it which is a lot that was a lot of things
1: no 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 that's all that's all wonderful i I really agree with all that um yeah and i think the only thing i would add about the gritty reboot aspect is that it's also it's like there's no narrative arc in life like there's no it's not a it's yeah it's like things just happen it's like time is just going on ceaselessly um but i think that's real
0: because like gritty doesn't have to be bad. Oh yeah, yeah. It's
1: just you know,
0: and I think that's what the poem is saying as well, where it's like gritty just means real and real is complicated, so every day is like just as good and bad. One of my favorite quotes from uh Gogol Bordello, my favorite Ukrainian gypsy punk group. Um <laughs> number 1. This song starts off with the immortal lines if we are here not to do what you and I want to do and go forever crazy with it, why the hell we are even here. Amazing.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: But the, the, the relevant lines that I'm thinking of for this are there were never any good old days. They are today. They are tomorrow. It's a stupid thing we say cursing tomorrow with sorrow.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And it like to me, what I love about that moment kind of on a, on a poetry level is like, right. So like the gritty reboot, all the language there is like kind of, it's not like super elevated or opaque or anything. And then even the basic meanings of, of the phrase and the the lines are like pretty straightforward, but then the kind of that, extra depth that we've just been talking about is just like put in there perfectly with the with the use of it being a gritty reboot and the fact that the the realness is what's being like kind of inverted over and over again if that makes sense yeah um, yeah and that's just like super cool um and yeah and i okay well i love what you were also talking about and i i was wondering like It takes this big, you know, as you were saying, you know, we got these sections that, that have the, the kind of repetition of in real life, we got that anaphora going on. Um, and then we get this turn, you know, like it follows that pretty consistently. And then we get this turn at the very end and. You know, so your left hand begs for water while your right hand swings an axe, your left foot drags a church bell, while your right foot taps SOS, 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 um, which is like, it's this kind of, so A, it's like this move away from the kind of media landscape that we've been in, in terms of like, what are the images, what's the kind of figurative world we're in, you know, it's like, well, it the... like it instantly, the reference point becomes
0: your homophobic small town, as opposed to yeah. any media reference to a sitcom or a reboot or a cliche in a sports, like all that's gone.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think the the kind of one thing that I love about this poem is that the stakes, the stakes of it become, they're kind of um, paced out sort of over time it's not immediately clear in the beginning like okay we know that he's like lonely in the beginning we know the speaker's like lonely then kind of you know uh throwing out a half frozen meal for two but like it's not until the second one that we get a hint of like okay your best laid plans are always someone else's chance to crash a car into the crowd at a men's rights charity concert then we're like then we're getting a little bit into like the political terrain of like a men's right charity concert, you know, like uh, that whole <laughs> horrible world. Um, but then we kind of, you know, and there's like, then we get like the nice guys pull out of the race to when their tires are slashed and we kind of get a sense of, you know, maybe that's like. I mean, it could just be like an interpersonal revenge, but it could also be like a kind of hate crime type thing um, of slashing someone's tires because of their sexuality or gender. Um, And then by the end, it's like in real life, you'll never make it out of your homophobic small town. And then there's this, the huge sort of enjambment line break alive. Um, And A, we we get that like, the location of the speakers, like, in the midst of all of this, you know, like, we don't, before that, like, okay, men's rights charity concert, but we don't quite know what the speaker has to do with that necessarily. Um, and then at the same time, as we get situated there, with the homophobic small town, we also get kind of situated as to, like, why, The TV is so there because it's kind of like a means of escape, you know, from um, which is such a especially like when it's a small town. It's like there's you literally can't find anyone in real life who like um, accepts you. And so you go to, you know, the Internet and TV for like representation, but also for like um, connecting with people online too. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, it's not talked about specifically in that poem, but anyway, but then it's kind of like, you kind of, you kind of understand at that point, but it's not until the end, like sort of like why of all the kind of, you know, like sort of figurative, uh, textures or worlds that the poem could be doing. Why is it short lived sitcom and gritty reboot? Um, But then at that very moment, you know, we kind of switch into this sort of, um, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but it's very symbolic, kind of like, like, and each limb is doing its own thing that seems to have like, a huge, like, symbolism to it, like your left hand begs for water, like, you know, you're so in need, but then that's like, in contrast with the right hand is swinging an ax. So it's like, while your left foot directs a church bell, you're like being weighed down by, I don't know, uh, the burdens of homophobic faith or like, maybe it's fake piety or whatever. Um, and then like your right foot taps SOS, SOS, you hope someone hears your, your plea um, for help kind of thing. Um, and, and then, an, it like so. One of my thoughts with that too is like, I what uh, what I loved about the begging for water while your right hand swings an axe is that I feel like there's a kind of um, at least my my reading is there's a kind of like if you're the speaker and you're stuck in your homophobic small town, you're so desperate for water like you want nourishment. Um, on the other hand, you have to be incredibly protective to stay alive. And so it's this really intense tension that you're kind of having to do at the same time of like, if you come at me, I'll get you. But also like, if you won't come at me, and you'll give me water, I really need that because I'm dying of thirst out here. Yeah, I don't know. I just find it very moving. But I, I was curious, it's such a, it's a very dramatic shift there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was just wondering what, what other thoughts you had about what's going on in that that part of the poem.
0: Yeah, I spent a lot of time with it. Um, and I was trying to sort of figure out, well, is there a connection between like the left is doing one thing and the right is doing the other? And does that mean anything? And I don't, I don't think there was any specific meaning I, I got from that. But you're right, it is this juxtaposition. And the water and the axe are both, you know, similar to being in the homophobic small town. Those are both immediate physical images. It's not a cultural reference of some sort in the way that referencing a sitcom would be. You have to know what a sitcom is. You have to think about sitcoms you know. Do you know any short lived ones? What were they like? Why don't they hold up now? You know, it it doesn't do any of that. Like, <laughs> Your left hand begs for water. Yep. I know what that looks like. I know what reaching my hand out for water is. I might do it every morning when I brush my teeth or whatever. And it's an axe. I've seen mm-hmm. axes before. Um, mm-hmm. And I spent more time with the church bell versus SOS ending, yeah, not just yeah. because it's the ending, but because there's the repetition of SOS. So you're like calling out for help and being. Dragging a church bell was really interesting because it feels sort of like a ball and chain, like holding you back or holding you down more so than being a, a symbol of like connection to a community or something, which it also could be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's also resonances with like wedding bells and if it's a homophobic small town attitudes and indeed laws. Relating to uh, growing up not straight and hoping to someday be able to marry would be another whole element of like, what is your religious faith's attitude towards that? What is the state's attitude towards that? A lot of that got wrapped up in church bell there for me. And I feel like the oppressive nature of religion, particularly in a small town where the church might be one of the main community points, churches are one of the big like community institutions in a, in a place. And when you're a smaller place and you don't have as many of them, the weight of that, uh, religious community can be huge. And so not just dragging along a church bell, but I almost felt like you're sort of being pressed down by the church bell or by the church itself. And that's like, your, your right foot is reaching out from under that weight, (laughs) tapping out the SOS just sort of like, Oh my God please get me out. From this. <laughs> like somebody unshackle the church bell. My ax won't cut through the chain. You know, um, <laughs> it's such a stark ending to have the repeated SOS. Cause it also, I don't know, not just because New Zealand is an Island nation, of course, but just in general, it's like a nautical thing to be calling out the SOS. And you get this sense of like a ship at sea desperately <laughs> signaling for help into the void And it may or may not be answered because I think one, one way, maybe to look at some of the media stuff from earlier on is like, you're calling out to the airwaves and they're calling back to you and they aren't always being particularly supportive. You've got these old sitcoms and you've got, you know, sports film (laughs) cliches that don't match up to the way that people act in real life. And, you know, maybe it's a lifeline, but it's not that helpful. Um, and now you end on this moment of like calling out into the ether and we don't know (laughs) all we know is that you'll never make it out of your homophobic small town alive which is quite a line break
1: yeah no i love all that i i completely agree i also just noticed uh and this is not like the biggest thing but it kind of it tickles me a little bit but um irl and like sos are both like three letter little yeah phrase thingies um and so beginning and ending on that it's interesting to the kind of i don't know it's like a well <laughs> here's like a a silly way that i'm thinking about it it's like there's sometimes in these gritty uh, shows that are like thrillers usually where like um, they're like watching the like CCTV or like the security cam footage of like someone. And they're like, but like, you know um, maybe it's like, it's like they're on uh they're part of the team, but they like got taken hostage. So they're like trying to figure out what happened or something. And like they know, and they, but they, but the person who's being watched, like knows that like, they can't do anything too obvious to like signal. So they do some weird thing where they like, you know, Oh, look, look, why is this foot twitching? Yeah. They twitch the foot or they blink a couple of times or they say a weird phrase. And then they're like, pause there rewind 15 seconds play it again zoom in enhance uh, it's like he's at 34 5th baker street
0: <laughs> not at 221b uh,
1: not 221b i know i was like oh shoot that's uh i know um anyway it's a kind of like i was thinking about the the foot tapping sos You know, like in contrast for the left hand begs for water, um, like both are kind of asks for help. A, it's that kind of what you were saying of like, and what kind of thing where it's like, presumably the right foot will tap SOS continually, you know, until it's heard and understood. You know what I mean? Because it's like, that's the way that that it's like, you don't know you don't know who's listening, right? It's sort of part of the, you don't know like who's out there, I guess. Whereas like, like in contrast to like, just to keep the TV references going of like, you know, the the person who's the bad guy, like almost falls off the roof of the building, but like grab, like reaches their hand out to like get help from the hero. And the hero's like, I don't like killing people generally this person really sucks. And they're like debating (laughs) whether or not to like help them up or whatever, or let them fall. And like, that's a kind of (laughs) ask for help where it's like, I am a person. You are definitely the person that can help me not fall off the building. Uh, So I'm communicating to you. You are my audience. Whereas like (laughs) SOS is like, I literally don't know if there is an audience like out there. And yes. I feel like that's kind of that to me, that like felt was sort of is what felt like very haunt extra haunting about the ending is like, it is this kind of it's, it's like so urgent in that it's like your right foot is tapping it over and over again. Like you get how serious it is, but you just, you really don't know if there's even anyone out there, you know?
0: Yeah, it's like a deeply urgent and personal thing for whoever is sending out the signal. And it is wildly impersonal because it could be anyone, anywhere, anything. Like SOS is the most general, like, I just right. need help. You yeah, know, like yeah. it's it, even beyond, like you could say a call for help. That still gives it a discrete human voice. This is just the universal distress call, you know? Yeah, And it's not even just help. It's like a distress call right which is i think yeah. a slightly different thing in the way that it layers the feeling yeah it's not like that moment where the bad guy is like but you don't kill and like, yeah, well but
1: you're a real asshole
0: <laughs> or something like oh no i shouldn't have been such an asshole because of course they're like british or something know. Like,
1: yeah it's like Oh, did you really have your your Looks like I'm
0: your only hope now.
1: (laughs) Oh, please, Mr. Hero Man, don't let me fall to
0: my doom. You you wouldn't want to be responsible for killing me, would you? (laughs) I wouldn't, but somehow I think I'll live with myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I thought I had to resolve my daddy troubles by developing a WMD, (laughs) but I think I'll just go to therapy now.
0: The only therapy you're going to get is... From concrete, because I'm, <laughs> I'm letting go of you right now. And you're going to tumble. Uh, Say hello to your therapist, Dr. Slate. <laughs> sidewalk.
1: Oh, wow. Incredible. Incredible stuff. Yeah, I'll give you a referral. A
0: referral to hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh Willikus. I hope this makes enough money for a sequel. <laughs> Ow, oh, I'm dying! Oh, I'm so bloody down here. But I, I might not die, <laughs> just in case the box office is super righteous. Oh man! And then then I hire a new crew because you fucking mocked all of them, you dingus, you jerk I see what the. Uh, bleh, what, uh, I hope this makes
1: a million dollars. Ooh. Now they're silent because the marching band from Naked Gun has walked over <laughs> the person, but their instruments are all broken, so there's actually no there's no sound. But then it's the horses from Holy Grail. And they just <laughs> stomp all over. But it's
0: just some guys running around with coconuts. Ah, wow!
1: Incredible. Um, Great poem. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah. Sh- I mean, should we read it again? Yeah, let's do it again.
0: IRL by Chris Teese. In real life, you are aging at the rate of a short-lived sitcom. And the only kind of loneliness worth laughing about is throwing out half a frozen meal for two because leftovers are never funnier the next day. In real life, there's no such thing as a gritty reboot. It's just fucking gritty all the time, mate. Because your best laid plans are always someone else's chance to crash a car into the crowd at a men's rights charity concert. In real life, the nice guys pull out of the race when their tires are slashed, or they turn back because they think they left the iron on. And no one adheres to sports film cliches anyway. We're all selfish, and we want that trophy. In real life... You never make it out of your homophobic small town, alive. So your left hand begs for water while your right hand swings an acts. Your left foot drags a church bell while your right foot taps SOS, SOS, SOS. Connor. (laughs) (laughs) My name. My dude. Before we get into our recommendations and I ask you that question, you know I'm going to ask. We received some really nice uh, Facebook messages and we got an email this week asking uh, a couple of different questions, one of which I thought would be nice for us to take on on the pod because it's one that we've actually gotten a couple of times before and that has also come in over on our sister podcast poetry spoken here from folks, this question came in from Bruno and he was asking about basically like finding places to publish poems. Um, And he says that he is uh, recently started writing poetry. About four years ago, he began to write poetry and he has some work that he'd like to publish. He's had some minor writing successes in the past And his question is about, uh, I'll just read it from his uh, email. My question is given the incredible number of mags websites for poetry, how does one determine where to send work? Um, Excellent question. One that I think we both grappled with at different times and full disclosure, I don't think either of us are super actively sending stuff out at the moment though we've done it to varying degrees in the past. I don't know, are you sending a lot of stuff out right now?
1: I need to get back on the wagon.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is something that we've like done a little bit of. And I think we have some some thoughts on this. And I think the, the first part of it, and I'll let you speak to this, but it is finding like a good list of places. Um, and there are a lot of ways to find places that are a little bit more scattershot. You can always hop on Twitter and find a bunch of different small independent literary magazines and operations and just kind of hunt around on your own but there are places that actually like curate lists of places to submit to. Right.
1: Yeah, no, there's a bunch. Um, And the one that I am like most familiar with, which it's like, so it's called um, book Fox. uh, And they do it for different genres, but they have kind of like the best, they, they rank it according to, um, I think it's like pushcart prizes, but that to me, that's less important. Um, but it's like the top 100 literary magazines um, and not all of them, you know, there's like one story on there, which is just fiction. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's 100 of them. So, you know, you can like obviously at the top, you know, you get your New Yorker and uh, plowshares and things like that um which
0: you know it can never hurt to submit to those places but i think that's for sure that's a good a good starting place also is like there's a couple of things that come with once you like have this list how do you sort through it
1: yeah i i think it's always it's always good i mean the, the nice thing about the online poetry scene is that you can you know it's not like how it used to be where you had to like print out your poems. And like, if you wanted to submit uh, more than one place at one time, you had to print out like a ton of copies. And so it really was like an ordeal. Like, you know, a lot of them have Submittable, which is like the kind of main uh, online kind of submitting platform. Not everyone does, but, you know, it's a lot easier to, you know, you can submit a poem to the New Yorker at the same time that you submitted to, you know, seven other journals, um, you know, and and there are some places that that still don't like uh, simultaneous submissions. Um, I mean, I, I think to me, the main thing is if if you hear back and you're accepted from anywhere, you just got to let everywhere else that you've submitted that work to that you've been accepted as soon as you find out. Um yeah. The, I would I would also
0: yeah. say if you're if you're starting out the other big filtering factor would be uh, if they want a submission fee, you don't need to submit there. Yes, um, that closes off some avenues, but also you if you're starting off and looking for places to get published, don't pay to submit.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of places that from some of the very best to, small independent ones that don't charge anything and i think that's that's always a i mean if you know if you have if you have the means you can go for it but um if yeah that's an inhibiting factor it's i don't think there's any any pressing reason to do so um yeah
0: i guess the main thing is like don't feel like you need to pay
1: yeah exactly. you know there's
0: there's a lot of places where if you don't have the means to pay or you just don't want to for some reason, there are a lot of places that you can still submit. And then I guess the flip side of that is deciding how important it is to you that you be paid for publication. And a lot of places pay, even if it's not a whole lot, but you also open up a huge array of small places that treat their writers really well, um, that just they're like independent one-person operations or you know they're very small and they don't pay, but it is a chance to get a bunch of credits for being published. Provided that, like, you're not solely trying to make your your living through this specific writing, that can be another thing to take into consideration. How important it is to you to like get paid.
1: The other thing that um, I don't know if anyone else does this, but I've kind of because I I completely agree. There's like so many journals out there, um, it's, it is, I'm still kind of overwhelmed by the the amount, but oftentimes if say I'm, you know, I know I really like this poet and I'm reading, you know, their, one of their collections, usually, um, you know, a number, some number of the poems that are in the book were previously published in a journal. And there's always like an acknowledgements page which is like this poem appeared in this journal. And it to me, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, some of them are going to be like, okay, poetry magazine or whatever. But uh, especially, you know, if it's like a debut poet, their first publications might be in the book. And to me, that's like a more condensed list of like, oh, that's like an interesting place. And especially too, because, you know, journals have different styles and different sort of aesthetics that they like. Um, if you really like a poet's work and they've published in this place or that place, like, you know, that's like one, it's not a guarantee, but it's like one way to kind of narrow down like, oh, maybe I should check them out. Um, so that, that could be another way of trying to find journals. Um, that's really
0: smart. And, and no matter what, if you're thinking about submitting to a place, try and read some of what they've taken just to like read, read what they take, because it might not look anything like your work. And that doesn't mean that your stuff isn't great in its own way. They just take something that's not what you do and, you know, follow those acknowledgements.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a bit of sleuthing that I, that I like to do. Yeah. Um, so basically
0: no, yeah. like there's, there's good lists and we'll make sure to link to the list that you mentioned from uh, book Fox Book fox. Book fox. <laughs> my favorite kind of fox. I think his um,
1: last name is Fox. The John Fox is the ah, website.
0: So. Well, I lied. My favorite kind of fox is the Fennec fox. So there you mm. have it. Um, I saw fox the other day when I was out running. It was so cool.
1: Wow. That's yeah. Kind of amazing.
0: It was pretty neat, uh, and it was in a snowy field, so it was extra. Like, dang, that is a fox. Um, <laughs> bushy tail and <laughs> red fur all over the place. Um, so wow. anyway, yeah. You 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 can start with a start with a fairly extensive list, then decide how important it is to you to either avoid paying for submissions or to get paid for your work. And wherever you're thinking about going, whether you're paying for it or not, or whether you're getting paid or not, look into what kind of stuff they take. I think that's to condense down, I think those are kind of the the main steps. Um, and as I said, we'll link to the book Fox list. There are other lists out there if you if you Google around. Um, There's a it lot. Can be overwhelming and intimidating to see those lists, but hopefully with some tools at hand to narrow them down for yourself, or a couple of strategies to make them more manageable, uh, you know, submit. Yeah. <laughs> also, I guess like prepare for rejection because it's going to happen. Oh yeah. No matter what, it will happen, and it's not. It's not bad. It's part of the process rejection it it feels bad but it's it's, yeah
1: it does feel bad but rejection for poets is a near constant state of being i think
0: even if you're not submitting you can manufacture that uh feeling well on your own many poets that's next level that's how you know
1: you're really a poet
0: yeah that's when you can access (laughs) that kind of uh intense internal struggle and negative self-talk at the drop of a
1: hat (laughs)
0: Nah, some parts yep. are probably happy all the time, right? TBD. TBD. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> no way of knowing. Um, yeah, don't recommend rejection. But I think we have some other recommendations. I sure hope you do, Ooh. besides constant feelings of rejection. Um, so, I
1: recommend that segue.
0: Hey, yeah, it's Lovely. so, so artful. Um, so, <laughs> Connor, hit me with your recommendations. What have you been Uh, reading, watching, listening to? I'll tell you right now. Station Eleven still top of my list, but uh, haven't watched it yet. Oh my gosh, it's so good! I your comments pushed it way up there, right? The the two things that are at the top of my list I haven't gotten to yet: Station Eleven and the Nicolas Cage film Pig. (laughs) They they just (laughs) keep getting pushed aside by other stuff that is probably not as good. But hey, I'm
1: Oh man! Well, this is what I recommend. I don't know. It felt important, and it was something that I didn't know. It's about COVID. COVID is a disaster, but sucks, um, sucks not, a lot. Don't need anything academic to tell you that. No, th- I
0: got I got eyes and a heart.
1: <laughs> One thing that has been a um, very commonly repeated story about COVID and specifically vaccination rates is you have the whole pandemic of the unvaccinated thing. And then you have the fact that it's like, um, if, you know, uh, your, uh, the vaccination rates are highly correlated to Trump voting counties uh, and states so if you know the more your state and county went to trump uh the less likely you are to be vaccinated um and that is all true um and this i found this study it was it came out by um elizabeth wrigley field uh caitlin m barry and govin persad and basically, it is the basically it's the first look at the state-specific vaccination rates that is also taking into account race and ethnicity. Um, and what their main finding was was they did find a confirmation of that fact about. Um, the, you know, the fact that as um, states voted more for Trump, vaccination rates went down. However, the other thing that they found was that that basically held true for every race. So like the way that I had kind of uh, interpreted the, you know, the like story. White, white
0: people skewing the data. <laughs>
1: Exactly it's like you know yeah. so you got you got white people who are republican they're in the the right wing fox news propaganda bubble and everything's anti-vax and so they're like fuck no I'm not going to have this vaccine um and I think as a kind of corollary there's been a dynamic of a you know a general contempt <laughs> for those who are unvaccinated for kind of making everything terrible and a kind of like um, it makes it feel easier for governments. And here I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about, you know, governments and policy people to like not try because it's like, like to not try to keep, you know, because we we very rapidly, you know, in May 2021, got the vaccination rates up to a certain point. And then it's been very, very, very slow ever since then. And what this study found is that for black people in a Trump state, that basically that kind of negative correlation between um, states leaning toward Trump and, uh, you know, not getting the vaccination has been true across race and especially when you think about the fact that, you know, like black voters are incredibly democratic leaning or not voting. And then when you think about larger things, you know, like race and income and poverty and things like that, um, and insurance and having insurance, um, I think something that to me, the data, and this is, this is, I don't think something that that the study says because it's, um, is that it's it, It's more like it's not necessarily simply the fact that people are refusing to be vaccinated because they are anti-vax. It, it's also the fact that, A, probably, or at least possibly, I don't want to say anything outright, but it's it's also possible that, you know, those states have much worse, you know, like health infrastructure, which is definitely true. And like for states that didn't, you know, do the Medicaid expansion, which were probably also more likely to vote for Trump. State level
0: government is more likely to be more right-wing, more, exactly, more antipathy towards vaccination and vaccination programs and actual like state level support for increasing vaccination rates. So it kind of, if I am understanding correctly, it turns it into this kind of like state level infrastructure failure towards vaccination and public health.
1: Yeah. And I think that it suggests that there's still possibility for other ways of raising vaccination rates that might be like more efforts at persuasion or build, like trying to build up public health infrastructure or like, you know, going to communities that have been historically, you know, denied access or quality access to healthcare and things like that. I think the biggest conclusion that I felt confident in was just that it's hard to make one conclusion about people who are unvaccinated, which I think is the most striking counter to this the narrative that I hear often, which is just, it's a bunch of white Trump anti-vaxxers who are like, no, I don't want right. to do it. I had kind of been like wondering, like this seems a little simple to me, and so this was kind of like the first study that that kind of um, showed some some concrete data um, to complicate that story, which I which I found very useful. So, Jack, yes, what are you? listening to, watching, absorbing, being adjacent to these days.
0: Well, let me tell you, as I said, your recommendation for Station 11 was noted and appreciated, and it is high on my list, but I still have not quite had the wherewithal to uh, engage with something that sounds absolutely incredible, but potentially intense. Um, That's fair. So I watched All of Reacher which only came out on Friday and it's eight episodes but I was ripped right through that uh which is like it's uh I was talking to a friend about it and I said it was basically like the platonic ideal of dad TV. Um, oh wow. Born out by the fact that my dad while watching the first episode kept going like oh shit and he, he <laughs> um, he's he's read all the books so he's already and he saw the Tom Cruise movie. so he's he's in it. Um and you know what they cast it great the guys of a mountain of muscle and he's still kind of charming but not in like a john cena the rock very charming and funny way he's just like sometimes he smiles and you're like yeah he smiles too uh it's reacher <laughs> it's an adaptation of the jack reacher books by lee child and he runs into town and he's like i've got a secret military past that means i can kill anybody with my little finger because i'm six foot five and 300 pounds of solid muscle and i'm like the perfect dude and I'll do Sherlock Holmes deductions on you and tell you about how you got divorced five years ago and whatever. Um,
1: Jack, that's my favorite kind of show.
0: Yeah, no, you're, this, is, this is your Criminal Minds reset right now. Yeah. Um, no, honestly, good. it's like, obviously it's not amazing, but it is exactly the kind of show <laughs> where like, the first season covers the first book. There's 24 books in this series. If they make 24 seasons of this and they're all like this one, I'll watch all of them. They all take place yeah. in a different town or a different whatever. And it's a new thing for him to deal with mm. and figure out. And he travels the country with his, like nothing more than a toothbrush in his pocket. Like he's, he's nice. out there living the the road life. Anyway. So I watched that. That's only like kind of a recommendation. That's if you just need something to like, just kind of like yeah this is this is what it is you know Uh, my real recommendation different tv show that i absolutely ripped through um, which is it's a quick one it's uh three seasons two seasons of four episodes one of five they're all about 20 to 25 minutes long it's called man like mobine and it is a dramedy series from the uk starring one of my favorite gentlemen mr guz khan um Ooh. i like him a lot found he's him because i been watching Tasman. he's hilarious um he's one of those people where like he could read the phone book and it would be absolutely hilarious <laughs> um it was he he co-created this show with uh, a gentleman named andy milligan who i know nothing about but it's about a guy who uh is living in birmingham and raising his younger sister on his own and it's about him and his friends and his little sister and he's just trying to do the right thing and live his life and love his friends and raise his sister right but he also has a bit of a checkered past that rears its head from time to time uh, perhaps increasingly so over the course of the three series Uh, I did like the first two more than the third one when his former life comes back in a bigger way but it is funny. And, uh, you know, he's talked a lot about the series when he does interviews, basically like being a vehicle for him to tell stories about people who look like him, who grew up where he grew up. Cause it's, it's shot in Birmingham, which is where he's from and both racially and socioeconomically, it's stories that just don't usually show up on TV or when they do, they're not written by the people who live them. And so there's a lot of uh, like really uh, good representation stuff that this show has done. And it's something that's kind of front of mind for, for him as a creator and a comic. Yeah. It's just hilarious and, and sweet and smart. I love it.
1: Amazing man. Like Mobeen. man, like Mobeen. check it out. What's it on again?
0: It is on Netflix.
1: Ooh. Handily enough.
0: I know. And as I said, I highly recommend it. I will finally get to Station 11.
1: I don't want to pressure you, Jack. It is it's not easy. There you, there will always be time to
0: watch It's true. It. But I also really do want to watch it. I've <laughs> just been uh, leaning into other stuff. Staying up to date on my peacemaker and my book of boba fett, you know. There you go. Got to got to watch whatever those are. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. It's always great to know if you have a different reading of this poem or any of the other poems we've covered, or if there are any poems you wish we would cover in the future. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter-Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Close Talking. See you next time.